looking forward to uh, our discussion tonight. I, was, I uh, have been um, struck by how many of us that I've gotten a chance to talk to that have really gotten a lot out of this current message series, Love Does. Uh, we have tried hard to dig into uh, really the greatest commandment, right? The thing that God's, that Jesus said, if you don't get anything else right out of the whole New Testament, here, let me boil down to 613 laws and the two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's all about love, right? Now, one of the things that we can experience as uh, Jesus followers is, I don't know if, you, if you're like me, I can confuse hearing with doing. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you hear a message and man, that was convicting, and man, that was moving, and like, okay, check the box, I'm good, that's done. But this series has been designed to say love is not an intention, it's not a feel, it's not a thought, it is action, it's actually doing some things. And so we've talked about the fact that Jeff Walling, you know, just blew the doors off at the beginning with Love Speaks. We talked about Love Risks, Love Says Yes, Love Confronts. And then Jay talked about uh, Love Asks. And it was just such a moving uh, discussion about the, the idea that God does have authority and does command, but God asked all these great questions of his people to find out where their hearts were and to sort of woo them to him. It is the kindness of God, Paul said to the Romans, that leads to repentance. And so the idea that this, this uh, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God would take time to ask me, where are you, Kevin? How are you doing? And, you know, some of those, those questions that uh, Jay asked on Sunday. And then uh, he allowed his people to ask him some really uh, tough questions as well. So tonight we're going to look at some divine asks, meaning questions that God asked uh, his people, and then some human asks, people that asked of God in the scriptures. And what it did for me is it made me feel like I'm not alone. Anyone ever asked God for something we felt like he didn't respond? Did you, have you ever wondered if you're right with God based on the way he responded or didn't respond to what you, what, what you asked? And then you can feel sort of like something's wrong with me because if I were walking with God and close to God like Enoch or like Moses or one of these guys, then all these things would fall in the line. I mean, you know, Elijah prayed for rain and all that, and I'm praying for rain, and it's bone dry, and what's up with me? What's wrong with me? So that's, but I love the idea that on Sundays, obviously, we're trying to uh, help those, as many as people as possible, find their place in God's story and help us as well. But then here, we get to dive in a little bit more deeply related to where we as Jesus followers are. And one of the things that Jay said is sometimes we, we are afraid, to, we think things, we have questions that we think, but we don't say them. So we, they stay bottled up. And they sort of lock us in place spiritually. And I would love in our discussion groups afterwards and just in general if we could maybe have some breakthroughs where some of us have had questions that have vexed us or really bugged us or had us stuck and feel safe to ask them. And there's something about when you get it out, when you actually say it, it takes the power of the enemy away and you have other people help you get perspective on it. And that's how God begins to heal. You know. We are a family, um, and when one part rejoices, every part rejoices, and when one part suffers, we all suffer with it, right? And it struck me, um, 
two weeks ago, we had three members lose their mothers. Um, and I am sorry for your loss, Sean, your stepmom. What strikes me is, you know, we, uh, when people come and visit Turning Point, one of the remarks, actually I was talking to Mike and Kim with, with some of their friends, uh, or, or some, some people that visited that they befriended, and one of the comments that people make often is that there are a lot of young people here, right? And praise God for that, right? We don't want to be, we, we don't want to be a church that has, you know, the, the seniors and then this big donut hall, which many, many, many churches have because they haven't reached the next generation and we've worked hard at it plus our incredible youth and family ministry and YA ministry it's great that we got the young adults like the 18 to 25 ministry that's just beginning sort of a, a ministry and inter, a ministry between college and then uh, more mature singles so uh, we've got the life cycles going and as we're growing but we as a fellowship have never been through the situation of a cycle of a generation so what strikes me is that we are in that rotation right now, and we're uh, butting up against that which every generation has faced, which is as we age, one of the, the telltale signs is that more of us have lost our parents. And I, I hope that we are communicative of the, the pain that we feel in our heart and uh, a safe place to communicate that. But I'm just saying to all of us, that's a season we're entering more fully into. And we need to be sensitive to it. And like Sean's talking about, we can't, you know, we can't walk on water, we can't wave a magic wand and, and make everything uh, better. But the comfort that God gives through each other is part of the reason that Jesus died for the church. With that, we can basically make it through anything and stay close to God. And so I just want to, I, I, love, I love this part of, of what we're doing because I think we're just maturing and he's taking us to a, a different situation we've never been in. And we're there to comfort each other with the love and the comfort that God gives us. I, I want to, let me read some of these passages. They're, they're really cool. I, I, I broke it up into um, questions that God asked uh, people and then questions that that uh, people ask God and in the latter section I take comfort from the fact that people who are a thousand times stronger than me spiritually ask God questions that they didn't get the answers they wanted back from because sometimes I can equate I didn't get the answer I want or this situation isn't going the way I want with God must not love me he might he must be an illusion he must not know who I am uh, but when you see this uh, it kind of refutes that. Okay, so let's look at the first one. Love asks, and we're talking about divine asks. Got to pronounce that word right. Okay, the first one is um, when, and, and I, have, I have the references here. I would encourage you, those of, those of you that want to, um, and all of us want to go deeper in our study, but I would encourage you to read the, the entire uh, text of some of these passages so that, that you can get the sense of the feeling of the relationship between the person of God. This is one of my favorite passages in everybody's. This is where Jacob is wrestling with the personification of God or an angel or some, some supernatural being, right? And he's wrestling with them, and a man wrestles with them until daybreak and, you know, puts, puts a, you know, uh, wrenches his hip and, and uh, you know, just 
all, all this crazy stuff. Um, but in the middle of it, uh, Jacob, uh, he asked, what is your name? Uh, the angel asked Jacob, what is your name? And it's interesting, you think that's a simple question. But in, the, in those times, you know that a name was more than just an identifier. You often, you want an interesting study, go through the Old Testament and look up what the meaning of the names of the different people. And, uh, you know, he asked Jacob, what is his name? And it's significant because Jacob, if you remember, to get his brother's birthright, pretended that he was who? He pretended that he was Esau, his older brother, right, the, who was hairy and ruddy and all this stuff. Uh, and Jacob liked to stay indoors, you know. He's, he's another guy that didn't like camping, kind of like me. Anyway, uh, but I go, I've been to family camp several times. I know it's not real camp, but I know it. Um, but, but it's, it's significant, and I just think of it, he's, he's saying, what is your name? Because Jacob has been pretending to be someone else for a while. And I think he's like, who are you? Not what is your name purely, but who are you really? In other words, God says, I want to know who you are, Jacob. I don't want a pretend Jacob. I want you. And so, it's sort of, if he asked me, Kevin, who are you? That really convicted me as I thought about it. Like, who am I really? Am I the, you know, is, is the person that God knows the person that, that all of us know or see? And so maybe God's asking you, what is your name? Who are you? Who, right now, today, are you, are you pretending to be someone? Or are you fully here before me and before other people? And I, I really want the you that I created. It's interesting, Jacob's name, uh, Jacob, he changed his name to Israel, right? And he who struggles with God, he who fights with God. He says, you have struggled with man and God and have overcome. And so it's a defining moment in his life. But just an interesting question. Here's another question that God asked Job. Anybody ever been mad, raged at God when bad things happen? Raise your hand. Like, have you ever thrown a temper tantrum or, or put your fist, sh you've shaken your fist at the heavens? That's a normal human reaction. And, and you know, in the script, it makes me feel like that's okay. Je, you know, Je, uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 20 said, God, you deceive me. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. Now, nah, you got to buckle up if you, <laughs> if you want to go at God like that. No, I, I, he's, he, God is not reactive, and he's not, you know, he's not that kind of father. Uh, there is safety in raging against God. God would rather have me, have you rage against him than distance ourselves from him. In the same way that you would rather have your kid rage against you than stonewall you. And so, um, you know, Job is a good dude. He's the best guy on earth, and yet he has these horrible circumstances. And at some point, he gets tired. He's, God, what's up? You are messing up here. I'm, a, I'm one of the good guys. And then God responds, among many other things, where were you when I learned the, laid the earth's foundation? So what, is, what do you think God's saying in that statement? Any, any thoughts? What is he saying in that? Huh? Where's your head? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, I love you. Got to remember the situation, though. Like, I'm God. 
you are a great human being, but you are still dust, right? Dust and the divine combined. And that helps me to remember I, I can get entitled and believe that it is my spiritual birthright to have a wrinkle-free life and to have no problems. Now, I know intellectually that's not, that's not my, but I can act that way. Like when, when the Wi-Fi is taking too long or my, you know, or, you know, somebody's in traffic or something doesn't happen right or, you know, it's just so, I mean, we're all, I'm embarrassed about the, the smallest things that can bug me or other things that are much more heart-wrenching. Losing a loved one and you can't, and there's no way to foray it. Uh, having a, a, a situation where you worked hard for a job that will help you to provide for your family and provide uh, for you to be more effective spiritually and it doesn't work out. Working hard uh, for a relationship with someone that you want to be uh, connected to and, and it doesn't work out. And these things are heartbreaking. Uh, and at the end of it, though, I have to realize that God, my every breath, every heartbeat is a privilege and a gift. It's not a right. And so this reading a passage like this, this was the best Christian and the best God follower on earth was Job, right? So it helps me to see, okay, uh, Kevin, you can ask your questions and you can try to live the best right you can, but, but your, your life is a, is a gift. And if God never did anything else for you, you have gotten infinitely more grace than you deserve. And I'm just saying for me, that's what it ministers to me. Here's another one. Uh, Jonah, right? Jonah, remember him, right? He's, he's a righteous guy. And God tells him, and I can relate to this. Think about the, you know, the, the people or the group or the individual you're most tempted to hate in the world. Like, like the most despicable, uh, and there's one particular individual that comes to mind very readily to me whose name I will not mention uh, for the fear that it will incriminate me. Uh, but but just someone who is probably the person I would least like to spend any time with on earth, okay? So, um, and God has not called me to speak directly to this person, thank goodness. Uh, but Job was in that, I mean, Jonah was in that situation because he was having to preach to Nineveh, who were the just the, you think of the worst terrorist, you know, uh, ISIL exponentially multiplied, whoever the most evil, you know, just the most evil, heinous, and yet God had compassion on these people who didn't deserve it. And he sent Jonah to go preach to them, and Jonah's like, I'm not doing it. Not doing it to them, because they don't deserve it. He was ticked off. It, it's a great, I mean, it's only four chapters. It's really interesting reading, you know, then he's, he has that encounter with the, with the large fish and all that, which I try to think, oh, oh. Please, God, I'm going to go wherever you, I don't want to be in a fish. You know, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Um, but then he goes, you know, has this, God, you know, creates, creates this plant and um, shades him from the sun. And then the plant dies. He's just mad. Just like, you've ever been there where, like, I'm mad. I don't want to do, God has this plant. For me. I don't like it. And he's just mad at him and does his thing. And then God says, do you have a reason to be angry? Jonah. Sometimes we flip it, right? We think God is there to serve us. And, and I can, I'm so embarrassed, but I can relate to that. And I sometimes hear when God, when I get angry, Kevin, do you really, 
Let me use the other. Can I use the other mic? Because this is, uh, thank you. Um, let me put this here. Really have a right to be angry. So maybe that's something that God is asking you today. Now, I'm sure that we've all had tough things to deal with in life. But do I have a right to be angry? It's just something to think about. Isaiah has this vision of God, right? He sees the, these angelic beings as seraphs, and, and uh, God is commissioning him and uh, has the, the uh, angel put the, put the uh, hot coal on his tongue to purify his tongue, and then God says, who will go and who shall I send? Basically, who is going to be the messenger to the world, to the people that are obstinate and won't listen and are evil? Who's going to be the messenger? Who's, who, whom shall I send? And, and I, uh, what is... Uh, Isaiah say, what's the famous retort? Here am I, send me, right? So I wonder if there's somebody in here that God is saying, whom shall I send to, to that neighborhood or to that, uh, in that school or, um, you know, in, in that work environment? Who, who will I send? Now, God might not be saying that to you, but he might be asking you that question. And if he were to ask you, whom shall I send, what would, what would my response be? Like sitting here tonight. That's a question that he might be asking. Here's another one. Uh, this is Jesus now. We switched to the, to the New Testament. This struck me today as I was studying. Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, right? And they, they had accused him of being of the devil. And uh, Jesus asked these people, these opponents of his, why is my language not clear to you? I, you know what? I'm thinking about doing that the next time I study with somebody. <laughs> or somebody else, I'm so confused. Isn't it, when we don't understand something in the scriptures, don't we typically think that there's got to be something wrong with how it's communicated? Uh, and, and people, think about people that are uh, opponents of the Bible. They think it's confusing. It's not clear. Why is it not clear? And they put, that, that's like that's an issue with God. But God says, no. Uh, Jesus says, I'm asking you. Why is my language unclear to you? And then he goes on to say, it's a heart condition in you. So it helps, us, it helps me to understand that a lot of times when people don't understand stuff, it's not an intellectual issue. It's the fact that there's something corrupt on, on the inside that is a barrier to understanding. Remember when Jesus said, they asked him, why do you speak in parables? He said, so that they'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding because you had to have a humble and pure heart to work through all the confusion and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and opponents would be put off by the fact that they didn't understand initially and they would just bolt. So that's an interesting question. Here's another one. Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Anybody here doubt? Anybody ever doubt the the reliability of the Hebrew scriptures of the New Testament? Raise your hand if you ever doubted that before. Okay. Anybody ever doubt that Jesus physically rose from the dead? Like, I believe it, but I doubt it. It's scientifically impossible. Okay. Uh, anybody ever doubt that God is really good and is really there? Yeah. Now, it's interesting that this particular question Jesus asked post-resurrection. And you think Jesus would be like, guys, this is all I got. I got, I mean, this is, I don't have a, an encore. Like, this is basically all I can do here. I just rose from the dead. That's about all I can do. 
I don't have anything else, you know, in the, in the truck. But, uh, but it, it helps me. It helps me. Post-resurrection. I mean, these, have you ever seen something you just couldn't believe it? These, his, some of his closest followers, he says, you're troubled. And doubts rise in your mind, right? The great, the great Commission, right before the Great Commission, it says Jesus rose from the dead. He meets him on a mountain. It's glorious. And then it says some worshiped him, but some doubted. And I go, yes, other people doubt. You know, it's like, I mean, the, the guys that physically saw the resurrected Jesus, some of them doubted. But guess what? Jesus kept, he didn't stop and have a big sermon. He said, to the worshipers and the doubters, go make disciples of all nations, go baptize them and teach them everything I've said, and I'll be with you. It's like, hey, I can work through people. Aren't you glad that Jesus can work through people who have doubts? And it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to be this. Some, some people are like, I believe it. What's wrong with you? Why do you doubt? But it shows even in the scriptures here, some people believe and some doubt it. So why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? I worked this out with my uh, daughter, Kennedy. Uh, and Tori, I, I said, something that helps me is when I am troubled, it helps me to physically write down who or what is troubling me. And seeing it on paper, listing it, and being able to pray, it, it, it has a, um, I don't know for me, I don't know what it is, the power of journaling, whatever, but when I write the names or the words down and I pray through them, I have more peace but if I just keep them jumbled in my mind, it causes anxiety and it, and it kills my peace. And what did Jesus say? I, I, I came to give you peace, right? I came to give you my peace. You will have trouble in the world, but that doesn't mean you should be, just because you have trouble in the world doesn't mean that you have to live a troubled life because I give you my peace, so forth and so on. So anyway, I just love the fact that people in that time Doubt just like I can doubt. Okay, this is the walking on water, and he's telling to Peter. And I'm like, and I mean, first of all, I'm not getting out of the boat. I would like to say I'm Peter, but I would not have been getting out of the boat trying to walk on water. I mean, I even know I'm just outing myself. I would not have been that guy. I, I know some people in here that would have been that guy, but I wouldn't have been that guy. And so you think you walk on water, that's pretty good, right? Like, <laughs> There shouldn't be any time, but he said, you know, and then he starts to sink, and God, uh, Jesus catches him, but he says, here, fight. You have little faith. You would have thought he would have said, man, way to go, Peter. You are the only other human being on earth to walk on water. We're going to get you a shoe deal. You know, we're gonna, like, we're going to make a big deal about this. You're going to be on Jimmy Fallon, you know. But he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And you know that that is the question, probably the most the famous question that Jesus asked, why are you afraid? Well, because people are trying to kill us. Well, because I'm standing here walking on water and no one else ever has. You know, just sort of, what do you mean? But Jesus always, always would ask them and challenge them, basically saying, do you not know who I am? Do you not believe that I am who I said I am and I can do what I said I can do? That's a question maybe some of us, it, it'd just be good. It strikes me that many Christians do live, their, their, their chief uh, emotional state is one of fear, of what could go wrong. This might not happen. I might not have this relationship. I not, might not be able to provide for my family. My health may not work out, all these things. And I would just say to you, I know some of us are more oriented toward being fearful, 
and I'm not trying to minimize, maybe, maybe there are, maybe there's a challenging health crisis you're going through or a financial crisis, so I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm saying it's good to think about why am I afraid? And if you really talk to somebody, you write it out. You know, we, some of us live with like the fear that a shoe is going to drop. We walk around like something good happened. Okay, well, then fourth bad things are going to happen. God doesn't want us to live that way. But I think if we, if we, even in our groups, hey, why are you afraid? Let's, let's talk about it. It would be great if, if we could figure out. I was talking actually uh, to a dear, someone that's really dear to me, and they said that this week they felt, they felt the lightest and most at peace they have in weeks because some situations got resolved. And what I said to the person is, that is the normative way God wants you to live. He wants you to be light and at peace. There are times that are exceptionally tumultuous. There are times that are, you know, code reds, DEFCON 2, the house is on fire, but that shouldn't be the tenor of your life where you're at on edge spiritually. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am humble and gentle uh, in heart. You'll find rest from your so for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when I am walking with Jesus and I'm living the way that I'm supposed to be living, characteristically, my, li my life should be at peace and light because he's walking it with me. So it's just sort of a good, sort of like a warning light on the dashboard. Where's my peace level? It's my fear level. <clears throat> Now, let's look at some questions that people asked God. And uh, these I really like, because I, I, what I do is I think, well, if they asked him that, I can ask him that. Okay? But then I gotta be ready for the answer too, okay? So, human asks. Uh, David, the psalmist, right, in exile running from Saul. Think about how maddening that would have been. You, you're anointed king of Israel, but then you have to run from this mad king for 10 years or however many years it was in the desert and you're threatened for your life and you're a fugitive and you ever get confusing mixed messages from God. It's like, God, I have no clarity what in the world is going on. So one of these down times says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from, uh, so far from my cries of anguish? That should be a word of comfort to any of us that have felt forsaken by God or even that currently feel forsaken by God. If you feel like your cries are far from him, understand that David felt that way. Now, was there anyone more beloved by God that you are aware of in the Hebrew scriptures than David? I can't think of another character, including Moses, Elijah, Jonathan, Deborah, Rahab, I mean, isn't it, is it, God is, uh, G, uh, David is, Jesus is from the house of David. God loved David. He's the only one, he said, here is a man after my own heart. Right? So, if God loved David that much, and yet David felt that, it says that when I feel forsaken, it doesn't mean I am forsaken. And when I feel unloved, it does not mean I am unloved any more than uh, it was accurate that David was unloved. So if you're feeling that, it's okay to express it. You can even write a psalm. You can, you know, uh, pray that prayer. It's okay and understand that the most beloved man of his era in that time felt that way uh, with God.
Here's something else. Here's another uh, question. I love this. Who was the greatest prophet that ever lived? Say it, say it louder. Okay, so if you take that just in, in the, the straight context, that means John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. That means he was greater than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. I mean, just like he was the man. He was the, number, he was the MVP of prophets, right? Because he was the one that introduced Jesus. But even he doubted. And of course, he's in prison uh, because of Herod's daughter and all this stuff. Doesn't it mess you up when, when bad people get away with evil things and it's just so unfair and it makes you want to hit somebody with a baseball bat? You know what I mean? I know. No, I'm just, I've never done that. I'm just saying it just makes you so mad. It's so clearly unjust. Think about such an evil dude and daughter causing the greatest prophet ever to have to be in jail, and soon he would be beheaded. But even John got to the point where he doubted. And it says, when John was in prison and heard the deeds of, of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? In other words, has this even been worth it? All my, you know, camel's hair, locusts out in the desert preaching like a madman, and I'm in jail, I'm about to get my head cut off, you know, like, wow. Is this, I hope this is not a fraud. Are you the guy? Doesn't it make you feel better that the greatest prophet ever? And then Jesus says, go back and tell them the dead are raised, the sick are healed, and blessed is the man that doesn't fall away on account of me. Doesn't it help you to know that, that Jesus said, don't fall away, John the Baptist? Like, that's bad. That doesn't, that's not good PR if the greatest prophet ever falls away, right? So, so I, just, I just appreciate that. John was able to ask that, and it says to me, you can be right in the center of the will of God and still be depressed and heartbroken and have doubts and bring them to God, and he doesn't reject you. And there's nothing wrong with you if you feel those things. They do not equal, I am not right with God. In fact, they may be uh, part of the, the most formative and strengthening time of your walk. Here's another one. This is Jesus himself. Quoting Psalm 22, which we read earlier with David. About three in the afternoon on the cross, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was there any more, more loved by God than Jesus? The only begotten son, and yet Jesus felt forsaken by God. Remember, because I feel forsaken does not mean I am forsaken. He was beloved. God raised him from the dead. We are here because of that. But I don't want us to sleep on the fact that if Jesus felt that way and was able to verbalize it, how much more can we feel that way and verbalize it? And it's okay for us to ask God. And Jesus didn't get the answer that he wanted, right? Before, take this away one time, take it away another time, take it away another time. And he said, God said no. So a no from God does not mean that I am not loved or that God is not working. And I got, I've had plenty of no's in my life and I've had more yeses than I deserve. And some stuff I just have in my mystery box that there are no answers to that I, you know, I don't, I don't, I think getting to heaven, I won't even care for the answer. I don't need to know. I'm just here now. I'm good. It's all good. Uh, 
But all of us have those things. And it helps to see that John the Baptist had a mystery box and David had a mystery box. Jesus even had a mystery box. So it's okay for me to have those unanswered questions and understand that God still, I'm still God's beloved. I love this one. This is, I think, the last one. So Gideon, in the book of Judges, right, he's threshing wheat in the, uh, in the wine press, which is odd, you know. And the Midianites are just beating up on him really badly. And, uh, you know, he's the least of his tribe and the least of his family. He's the least likely hero. And God says, you're the guy that's going to go save the nation. And I love this question. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but if, it's, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? That may be my favorite question. Because I know I felt that way. If God is with us, then why did this person get this disease or why did this unfortunate situation befall this, this member? Or why are we having this conflict in my small group, uh, you know, if we're, if we're being who we need to be and so forth? It's interesting that God doesn't answer that question. Gideon, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, David, and Jesus all had unanswered questions from God. But they all faithfully fulfilled what God called them to. And that's who I'm hoping we will be. But I hope that we will say out loud the question that we are afraid to say that's rattling around in our head. You want to know what my prayer is? You want to know what I hope we'll have in our groups? It is honest dialogue. The question that I have been afraid to say out loud, been like, I'm going to commit blasphemy. Listen, he's not going to commit blasphemy, okay? Just being honest. You, you've looked at all this stuff that people have said. Notice what God said to uh, uh, Gideon. He didn't answer his question. He said, the Lord turned to him and didn't answer his question. He said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not with you? I mean, you know, it just had to be the thought bubble in Gideon's head had to just be like, what? God, we just get beaten up. I'm the, I'm the last guy on the bench. I'm the last pick here. And you want me to start? I mean, you want me to be the, 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 the star of the team? And God says, I'm not answering your question. All you need to know, you don't need to answer, know the answer to the question. You just need to know I'm with you. Now go save Israel out of Midian's hand, which he did. So if God can handle all those questions, God can handle, God is not afraid of your questions. And a non-answer does not mean a lack of, of passionate fatherly love. So that's all I got tonight. And I hope that you, um, my, my prayer and hope would be that if you have something that's vexing or troubling your spirit or a thought or question that's bugging you, that you would not leave tonight without verbalizing it to someone to let God speak through them to your heart and remind you how beloved you are. So thank you, have some great groups.